In the 1980s, uh, my friends and I really enjoyed a cartoon called G.I. Joe. Not only watching G.I. Joe, but actually playing with the uh, toys. Uh, a while back, um, my, I had to correct my daughters who said, well, those are just dolls. No. I'm like, hold your tongue. Uh, they are action figures. Uh, and uh, get that. You know, boys are playing with action figures. And so uh, we love playing with all of these tanks and planes and these soldiers. And uh, when you would either get them as a gift or you'd purchase one on the back, you could cut out and get points. And once you gathered up enough of these points, then you could purchase something uh, of certain choices they gave you. And you had to pay shipping and handling. So I had saved up these points and I wanted the Cobra Hiss tank. I'm like, I need something for the enemy to blow up because all I have is the good guys. And so I uh, we put that all together. Um, I think we had to do a check. So uh, uh, my mom or someone wrote a check. We put it in there, and it said four to six weeks. And I was like, four to six weeks? I mean, that's, that's, that's more than a month I've got to wait. And so we mail that off every day after coming to school, check the box. Is it there? No. Mom, did it come? No, it didn't come today. The tank is not. Stop asking me in one sense. And so three weeks... And four weeks, I'm like, all right, fourth week, they said four to six. It didn't come. Fifth week, I'm like, okay, it's got to be here now. And it's, you're, you're, you're stressed over this thing. It's like, when is this tank coming? And then you get to week six, I'm like, all right, sixth week, it will be here. Well, sixth week came and went. And week seven and week eight, and I was just at the pit of despair. I was confused, angry. I felt like I was robbed. There was no like phone to call. There's no website to go look at. And so I think my mom was trying to track something down. And it was like, yeah, just wait or whatever. But uh, I'm still waiting today on December 10th or whatever it is that that tank will show up. Um, but have you ever um, had to wait for something a long time? And as you're waiting, you begin to go through your mind, well, with all the what ifs. And you start getting stressed. There's no peace at all in your life. There's anxiety. You're stressed out. You're worrying. What if this happened and that? And it makes me think of the people of God. Last week in Genesis chapter 3, we saw God's promise to Eve that there was going to be a Savior, a Redeemer to come, who would crush the serpent's head, who is who? Satan. And that promise was made back in the garden over 4,000 years before the birth of Christ. And so imagine God's people waiting over 4,000 years. Generations that lived and died waiting for that promised hope. Some of them waited well with peace in their hearts. Trusting in a faithful God who always keeps his promises. Whether they saw that fulfilled or not. And then there's others who were worried and anxious and fearful all the days of their life, and they did not trust in the faithfulness of God. And so I think about us. What about you? How are you at waiting? We know from Scripture that all of the promises of the first coming of Christ, the first advent, have been fulfilled. And now we wait for the promises of the second advent, the second coming of Christ and as you're waiting for that in the midst of the storms of life, how well do you wait? Do you have the peace that surpasses all understanding? 
Or are you like me, stressing out over this tank that I wanted to have in the mail? This morning, as we look at this text, the scriptural truth from Micah chapter 5, verses 2 through 5 is this. The great shepherd king is the only source of true peace. The great shepherd king is the only source of true peace. I'm going to read Micah chapter 5. We had this read a few minutes ago. I'm going to read verses 2 through 5 again. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. The word of God. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the comfort and the peace that you give your people. We thank you that in the midst of all the trouble of this life, that we can have the peace that surpasses all understanding because of our faith and our trust in you. Father, as we look at this text this morning, as we look to the birth of Christ, the fulfillment of the prophecy of Micah, we pray that you would give us peace in our hearts. No matter what trouble there is going on, that the hope that you give us in Christ would also fill us with the peace of Christ. May you be glorified in the reading and the preaching of the word, and we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. As we look at this text this morning, some of you know this well because you like singing the song, O Little Town of Bethlehem, and some of you know that this is the prophecy in Micah chapter 5, and you can go to Matthew chapter 2, I believe it's verse 5, and you can see that fulfilled. And as we look at this, I would remind you that the Old Testament has prophecies in which God told the prophets, as we've been studying the minor prophets, descriptions about how to know if the Messiah had shown up, to know when the Messiah would be there, to know things like where the Messiah would be born. And as those things were reminded through the prophets, as God told them to speak, um, he pointed out things like the Messiah would be coming through the tribe of Judah, through the line of King David, that this Messiah, the Savior of the world, would be a man of sorrows, who would be crushed and despised and rejected, yet at the same time saving many for himself and we read in the Old Testament prophecies that the Messiah, the Redeemer, would be the light in the darkness, that he would be the preacher of the good news to the poor, that he would walk in the power of the Holy Spirit of God. And again, every prophecy of the first coming of Christ has been fulfilled. And so we praise him. We give thanks because God is a faithful God who every time he makes a promise, he always fulfills his promises. And so we can look at the second advent, the second coming of Christ, the promise that Christ will return in all of his glory and he will give all of the saints a glorified body and they will be with him forever without any sin. And we look forward to the fulfillment of those things to come. 
Look with me at verses 2 and 3. The first point this morning is that the shepherd king will be born in Bethlehem. The shepherd king will be born in Bethlehem. Now, if you remember back to our study in the book of Micah just a few weeks or a month, month ago back, we looked at the fact that Micah prophesied to the nation of Israel, specifically to the tribe of Judah, that the enemy, the Assyrians, would come in and take them cap captivity. That the Assyrians would come in and destroy the people of God and take the uh, people that are living to uh, captivity, to their capitals. So that is in the background, in the midst of this wonderful prophecy that God gives the people to hope in and to have peace from. It says there in verse 2, But you, O Bethlehem of Phratha, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. If you had just read in the first four chapters of Micah and all the terrible things that would come from the enemy, if you came to this verse and you realized what was being told, you would be like, oh, some comfort, some peace. All of this trouble is coming, but yet in the midst of this, the ruler is going to come, and it tells us where? In Bethlehem, which would put it been a mixed feeling type of thing because many of them were expecting the uh, Redeemer, the Messiah, the Savior to come out of the capital city of Jerusalem, but here it tells us Bethlehem, Ephrathah. The people were in desperate, desperate need of a savior from their enemies that were coming after them, that were about to come after them. But the Messiah would not come from Jerusalem. If you read in Genesis 35 and you read in Genesis 48, it describes Bethlehem Ephrathah. And you might say, well, what's Ephrathah? What's that mean? Uh, and, and what it is, it's a description of the right city of Bethlehem. You see, there were two cities of Bethlehem in, uh, in Israel. There was one in the land of Zebulun, the tribe of Zebulun. There was a Bethlehem there. But the one to pay attention to was the one that King David was from his hometown, and that was Bethlehem Ephrathah of the tribe of Judah. So when you read that word Ephrathah, or you can't pronounce it, you're like, oh, just say Bethlehem Ephrathah. Okay, let's get to Bethlehem. Know that you could be telling someone about the wrong Bethlehem. They could be searching for the Messiah over in the land of Zebulun while he's being born over in the land of Judah. And so it's important to know that when you see these things, don't be afraid of something that you don't understand. Do some research. Ask questions. Do cross-references in the Word of God because this is your best commentary. The fact that these scriptures are mentioned in Genesis, it helps us understand these truths that God has for us. So as you sing, O little town of Bethlehem, this is the birthplace of King David. And it goes through 2 Samuel and I believe the first chronicles in which God promises King David and says, you will have one that comes from you, have this eternal kingdom, speaking of the Messiah, the Christ. And so you could read this in the original Hebrew of verse 2 as a question. Look at it this way. You could read this as a question. Are you too little, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, for a ruler to come from you? And the answer is no. The answer is no, that in this small little town that the ruler, the king, the savior, the redeemer of the world would be coming from this small town. Look at verse 2. It continues on. And it says, From you shall come forth 
For me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. This is important if you read the rest of the verses that we've read to follow, is this is describing this ruler who is both man and both God Almighty. Well, you might think for a moment, well, who would that be? Only the Son of God. Only Jesus Christ, if you read in the New Testament, we see that he is fully God and fully man, full divinity and full humanity in one. And you know, you know that when you look at the text here in verse 2, look at what it says, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. That scripture and that wording is used a few times in the Old Testament to point to God Almighty, that he is the one in eternity past. There is no one who has always existed in eternity. Before God said, let there be light, God has always existed. So when you see the term ancient of days, or you see these descriptions coming forth of old from eternity past, pay attention, because that's speaking of the Lord God Almighty, pointing to God, and here pointing to Jesus Christ. Now look for a moment if you would turn with me to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, that famous chapter that we read throughout this month and on Christmas Eve or Christmas morning. It is one of the accounts of the birth of Christ. And when we look at that in Luke chapter 2, first we have to understand and know that Bethlehem is mentioned. And the question we must ask is, why... Does Mary and Joseph go to Bethlehem? And the answer would be, well, because Micah said it would happen. But you need to understand when we read these things that God is sovereign and in complete control. And his providence, his way of how his will is accomplished, he directs every little thing. And so sometimes we think, well, is God really in that or whatever? And yes, God directs everything for his glory. And here's a great account of it. Look at, look at Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, betrothed who was with child. And while they were there, it just happens to be, just chance, luck, just, just, just happened. If you were betting, you know, you probably would have cashed up big on this one. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. The reason why Jesus was born in Bethlehem because God said it would happen and God directed Caesar Augustus, the ruler of that empire, to do a census. And I know I can hear you that have listened to the History Channel who try to attack that, well, there's history and these things don't line up. But if you do read history and you do look to archaeology, you do see that there was a census at this time that was taken that didn't necessarily fall in line with how the normal practice was. The reason this happens, church, is because God told Caesar Augustus to do so. 
He put it in his mind, and so he did that. So instead of Joseph staying in Nazareth, Jesus the Nazarene, the one who lived there, they leave at a time which they may think this is the worst timing of the year. Mary's due. we got to travel this journey and go all this long way, and it just happened that she gives birth during that time. It is not chance. It is God's providence. It is his sovereignty and his will being fulfilled. And church, it's glorious. And I pray that you get that excited as I do as I read these things. That when you read these texts and the Holy Spirit opens your eyes, you're just like, praise God Almighty. Because we can't think this up. We can't even write a good enough story. This is a true account of God doing His work and fulfilling His promises to His people. And so Micah, if you go back to Micah, Micah prophesied. So when we speak of prophets here in our study of the minor prophets, God gives the prophets the words to say. They tell them to the people and write them down as God has told them. And God gave Micah the prophecy of the Assyrians coming as well as the birth of Christ here in Micah chapter 5. And it was done 700 years before Christ was born in Bethlehem. 700 years. Again, God and his workings. And you might think, as our family was talking this week, I've been asked this many times over the years in ministry. Why didn't God send Christ now? Because we have all this other technology. Well, Galatians chapter 4 helps us with this. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 5 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. When it says, but when the fullness of time had come, it gives us this sense that it was at the right time, at the perfect time, that God was the one who said, now is the time, the birth of my son, the Messiah, the Redeemer, will be born in Bethlehem and placed in that manger. This is the right timing. And so we could question God all we want, but that is what God's plan is, and that's what he did. And as you look at this in verses 2 and 3, we have to also remember that before Christ would be born, God deals with his people to work upon their hearts, what we've seen week in and week out on the minor prophets. Look at verse 3 of Micah chapter 5. It says, therefore, he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Again, he says, Israel, Judah, Jerusalem, the Assyrians will come and ransack you and take those who are living away into captivity because you have worshiped false gods, because you have worshiped idols of stone and wood, because you have broken my laws, because you have been unfaithful, I will discipline you and I will restore you. But he says that this will happen. And so Israel would face this enemy and the enemies constantly, it says, until the birth of Christ Reminding us of Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, in which the prophet Isaiah says, Therefore the Lord will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Which means what, church? God with us. What a wonderful prophecy of the Messiah to come. But until that moment, Micah says, the Lord God speaks through Micah and says, 
there will be a time that you will be given up to your enemies before the birth has happened. It says on there in verse 3, again, some of these things might be hard to understand, but again, if we look at Scripture, it helps us understand. It says at the end of verse 3, then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. You may say, what is this talking about? Well, when we read about Jesus Christ in Romans chapter 8 and in the book of Hebrews, we read of of Christ being the first fruits, this picture of the firstborn among many brothers, that he, his Hebrews speaks of him as the king, that he is a true brother specifically to all who have faith in Jesus Christ who are saved by the gift of grace a gift of faith that God has given them to believe so when you look at verse 3 look at verse 3 there then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel this emphasizes the unity of God's people under Jesus Christ And that we can rejoice today even as we gather. That we are one small gathering of believers. Yet there are believers worldwide. There are believers gathering worldwide today at this moment. Maybe last night or later today throughout this weekend. And as they gather there is unity in Christ by the Holy Spirit who dwells in his people. And this group is the church. Jesus' people, his flock, who he is the great shepherd of. And it's very fitting because the second point is the shepherd king is the servant of the Lord. The shepherd king is the servant of the Lord in verse 4. It continues on. Not only will he be born in Bethlehem, not only will he be a ruler, not only will the nation of Israel go through this time before he arrives, but it describes him in greater detail, verse 4. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of who? Of the Lord. In the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. That child to be born in the manger is also the great faithful shepherd king. Read John chapter 10 this week in which Jesus says that he is the good shepherd. He is the one who has careful watch over his people, over his flock. He protects from the enemy wolves that would come, those who would try to tear the flock and destroy them. He is a good shepherd as it tells us that he nurtures his people. He feeds his people and he cares for his people by granting them peace. It's a wonderful description of the shepherd king that what he does, he does in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. You might go, what does this mean? Because isn't Jesus the shepherd king, Lord God? Yes, but we must also, to be able to understand the cross and understand redemption, we must know that Jesus is also fully man, that he was born in the manger, to take on humanity with his divinity. And this is what helps us here in verse 4, that he will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And so when you read through Scripture and you read of the glory of God in heaven, when you read in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the descriptions of heaven, when you read in the book of Revelation what heaven is like and the glory of God and the angels around the throne singing and saying daily, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come, all of the praise and glory going to God, you must know that Jesus was there because Jesus is God. 
And Jesus gave up his glory in heaven and came down and added humanity to his divinity. Jesus says this in the high priestly prayer in John chapter 17. As he prays to the Father, people would think, well, wait, if he's God, why is he praying to the Father? And for another day, uh, we can always return again to what we would say the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, perfect unity, God Almighty. And we see Jesus in his humanity praying to God the Father. And it says in John 17 verse 3, and this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence, listen, with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Go read John chapter 1. When you read Paul's letters and he speaks of Jesus speaking creation into existence, Jesus has always existed and he always will because he is God. Jesus is fully God. But to understand salvation that is so great and so glorious and so much grace upon us, we must understand and know that Jesus is also fully human. Jesus humbled himself. He lived obediently to his heavenly Father And Jesus descended from heaven and his glory and was born in his table. The king of kings was placed in a feeding trough. He was born into poverty. There wasn't crowds and crowds that flocked to him. Only few were there. The wise men who came later came because of the prophecy of Micah. But the scriptures help us see and know that Jesus, who is God, also is fully man. You see, Jesus had a, had, had a body like you and I. You can pinch your skin. Jesus could pinch his skin. You can smash your finger. Jesus being a carpenter, I wonder if he ever smashed his finger or if he perfectly hammered every single nail that he did. Jesus faced the same things as Hebrews helps us understand that as we are tempted in every way, so was Jesus. Yet he never what? He never sinned. Jesus, it says at the end of Luke chapter 2, that he grew up as a boy in wisdom and stature. He was obedient to his earthly parents. He worked as a carpenter. Jesus became exhausted and needed sleep. Jesus got hungry and thirsty as you and I do. He was amazed. He had emotions. He was joyful. He had sorrow. He wept over the death of his friend and over the people of Israel. And Jesus is the one who knows what it's like for you today to be in the midst of that storm that is raging in your life and you feel like you can't catch your breath for a moment and you're waiting for that peace. Jesus Christ knows those things because he added humanity to his divinity and he lived an earthly life like you and I. So he is the great one that is our mediator. He's the one who prays on behalf of us and he always prays perfectly and all of his prayers are always answered. And so we can be thankful that he gave up his glory in heaven and he added humanity to his divinity that he could walk this earth and do the work that only one who is fully God and fully man can do. 
And by having both natures, divinity and humanity, Jesus then is the only right and perfect sacrifice. In the Gospel of John, we read that the description is Jesus Christ, the spotless lamb who takes away the sins of the world. The book of Hebrews tells us that he is the only mediator between God and man. And so we are told that we are to fear God. And you are to fear God in your life. And many people do not fear God whatsoever. The only way that any approach to God can be made is through Jesus Christ not on anything that you do, not in any way you clean up your life. Only through the blood of Jesus Christ can anyone come to him through faith in Jesus. The Apostle Paul tells us in Philippians um, that Jesus, by coming to earth, humbled himself. And he humbled himself to the point of death on a cross. And so when we look to the cross, we should look to the manger. It's not just something you do at Christmas time. We should look at all of this together because Jesus, fully God, fully man, never sinned. Then when he was nailed to the cross, he bore your sins if you have faith in him. He bore the sins of his people. And as he hung there, God the Father poured out his wrath meant for you upon Jesus Christ the Son. And Jesus shed his blood and his blood doesn't just cover over your sins, but Jesus' blood removes your sins. And as Ephesians tells us that through faith, you are, you are given the gift of faith, Ephesians tells us, as a gift of God so that you do believe. God does all the work, you do none of it, so that he gets all the glory for saving you from your sins. And Jesus Christ not only died, his body, in all the torment, in all of the trouble he went through, his lungs stopped breathing. His heart stopped beating. Jesus died. He was wrapped up. He was placed in a tomb. And he rose again on the third day. So that we would not only have victory over sin, but we would have victory over death, church. If Christ does not return in this lifetime for you, you will die. And if you're a follower of Christ, your soul will go to Him and be perfected in holiness. And you will await the return of Christ when He will raise our bodies from the dust and He will give us glorious new bodies joined with a perfect soul and we will be with Him for all eternity. So don't wait for Easter the Resurrection Sunday, to celebrate salvation. You celebrate it now in the birth of Christ in the manger because Christ did what he did so that he would be able to do a right work to save us. Look at verse 4 here. Because of that, verse 4 says, and they shall dwell secure. You and I need security in life. 
And you could go through a whole list in this room of all the ways that we try to find security. Everything from uh, cameras you put on your house, alarm systems on your cars, whatever types of things to protect your finances. Go on and on and on. Carry a weapon, whatever, because you want security and safety. Know that only true eternal security and safety comes from the child born in Bethlehem. Jesus Christ. It says, and they shall dwell secure. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. Turn to the far right-hand side of your Bible or scroll down to the bottom of your screen. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21 through 25. It says this, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. That's why he is the shepherd king. He is the overseer of your soul. And that's why you have security by faith in Jesus Christ alone. If you don't have faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you have no security for life. The only thing you have to look forward to is try to enjoy everything you can day to day in this world, and then you die. And for eternity, you spend that in hell, separated from God for all eternity. And God the Father will pour out his wrath upon you for eternity, conscious eternal torment forever. You're like, don't say that at Christmas. If we don't say it at Christmas, then salvation means nothing, church. We must always say it every day because our Savior has set us free from that punishment by burying our sins on the tree. Look at the last verse of Micah chapter 5. The third and final point is the shepherd king brings everlasting peace. It says there at the beginning of verse 5, and he shall be their peace. He shall be their peace. Whether you believe it or admit it or not, everyone in this world is searching for peace. They're searching for hope. They're searching for peace. They're searching for joy. And here are some of the things that I wrote down this week as I was like, all right, what does the world tell me about how to find peace? And it's unbelievable the list when you just say how to find peace and all kinds of answers and people and experts and all these things. Here's just a list. One, you can meditate. You could do yoga. I like this one. You can go to India and visit all the places Buddha did and maybe you'll find peace in those spots. Listen to peaceful music. You know, the water running over the rocks or the waves crashing, you know, the wind. I mean, so you can have peace. Go do a nature walk. Um, I, I don't, I'm, I'm not laughing at anyone. This, this just makes me laugh. Practice deep breathing and mindfulness. Um, I just, when I think of that, I, I'm like, okay, I'm going to breathe deep. And I just start laughing. Um, love yourself came up a bunch of times. 
And I was like, what does that mean? And it's like, wow, that's all about us and nothing about God. A couple of people said, live for the moment, stop worrying, uh, achieve all your best dreams, uh, lists of stuff like get that degree that you need, get the perfect job, then get the raise, marry the right person, on and on. But one of the things that I thought a while back that a movie that I saw and I was like, oh, it's like a half answer. Some of you have seen the cartoon ser- movie series Kung Fu Panda and, and the panda Poe. And you're like, what does this have to do with anything? Well, Poe, uh, he, he talks about finding inner peace and he's talking to Shifu about this and how do you find inner peace and he's trying to do all these things and finally it comes to a point where this realization that he says that um, inner peace is a place of forgiveness and acceptance and you're like finish the sentence wait forgiveness you're like yes Poe has it partly right Inner peace is this place of forgiveness and acceptance. And if Poe only went on, if Shifu had told him and said, that only comes through Jesus Christ, you'd have a perfect line. You'd have the gospel, in a sense, being declared to people on these big old screens. True peace in all of life and for eternity only comes from one source, church, and that is Jesus Christ Almighty. Jesus brings peace to his people because he takes away the sins of his people. Jesus Christ gives peace to all who believe in him because he took your wrath. Jesus appeased God's righteous anger at the cross because he never sinned and therefore could take our sins and die. And Jesus grants peace in the hearts of those who by faith believe that he is Savior and God. I want you to write down Ephesians chapter 2 this week. I want you to read Ephesians 2 verses 13 through 22. Read Ephesians 2, 13 through 22. Ephesians 2, 13 through 22 and read it a whole bunch this week. He's writing to the church. He's reminding them of where they were and where they are now. But it is a glorious text about the peace of God that is granted for all who have faith in Jesus Christ alone. So again, this morning I ask you, do you feel like you're in the midst of an ocean and the storms are raging and you're trying to stay afloat and the waves keep coming over you and it's hard for you to catch your breath? Are you feeling depressed this morning? Are you filled with anxiety and worry? Are, is, is just the trouble in your life just coming upon you like a wild beast jumping upon you in the midst of the woods? Know that any peace from all of that will only come through Christ. It's amazing when you read in Mark chapter 4, Jesus and his humanity is asleep in the boat. And the disciples are with him. And they are like, the storm is raging. We're going to die, Jesus. Don't you care? And it says in verse 39 of Mark 4, And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Peace, be still. The peace that you're seeking or the peace that you have that is true is only from Christ. And so if you need peace this morning, all I can direct you to is the cross. And I can tell you 
Confess your sins. Repent of your sins. Believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And he will save you. He will give you the faith to believe in him. And he will be glorified in this. As the worship team comes forward, I'd like to read one more text to you. I come to this text actually quite often. It's in Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. The Apostle Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Isn't that a troubling thing at times to do? To rejoice in the Lord in the midst of all the problems. He says, again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the peace that you give us through your Son. We praise you and we rejoice in the storm because you are good and glorious and you have done a work to save us and you've given us peace. Father, I pray for any here who have come into this place without peace. I pray that today is the day of salvation for them. And for the believer who's struggling in the midst of the storm, would you encourage them and remind them that the hope they have in life is Jesus and that the joy of knowing Christ would flood their lives and the peace that surpasses all understanding would be upon them. In Jesus' name, amen.